we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Well, good morning, everyone. And welcome again to Logos Worship. I'm Danny. I'm the preaching pastor in Logos and have the privilege of leading us in worship in this space. So whether you are still at home worshiping in your own living room or right here in this space with us, it is good that we're together, uh, even virtually. It is good that we're together. And we have the privilege of worshiping God without fear uh, and the privilege of reading His Word with one another. Let me remind you, another part of our worship is giving, and we encourage you to continue to give faithfully to the further the ministry of this church family, and also as an act of worship, that God, I entrust you with my whole life as you have blessed me uh, with many, many, many things, and so Lord, here, take a portion of what I have, you've given me, and I give to you, and you can do that by going to fpcsa.org slash give, or we have those little boxes as you exit here to the left. Um, you can put that in there as well. But continue to give to be a part of what God is doing in this church family. We are in week two of our brand new series, Solomon, Building a Place of Worship. This is part of our Reverse series. We, we read the same passage together every week. We're in small group, hopefully, in Bible study around the same passage. And you get to hear me preach, or Pastor Chris preach from the same passage every single Week. So if you're just tuning in for the first time, this is just week two, you can catch up to where we are. We're in First Chronicles and portions of Second Chronicles. We're also in week two of an emphasis in the month of March that we're calling Redirect. It's something that we're doing here in the Logos Worshiping Family. And we're going to take these next few weeks to really challenge one another to adopt a rhythm of genuine repentance where our heart is in it. And not just repentance um, or confession, but the kind of repentance that moves us along towards God and aligning ourselves with who He is and what He is doing. No longer going our own way, but going His way. So we're going to be talking about that every single week through the month of March. Repentance, redirect, moving towards God together. Um, this week, we are in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 11 through 21, and I'd love to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to read just verses 19 through 21 of that chapter. All right, let's read this together. Every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Then David continued, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. The various divisions of priests and Levites will serve in the temple of God. Others with skills of every kind will volunteer and the officials and the entire nation are at your command. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for King David. Thank you for 
the chronicler who put these words to paper so that we can now read them today and by the power of your spirit be encouraged and equipped to be your people now. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. So last week we began this series and we learned that because of David's passion and zeal for the Lord, he loved his God. He had been forgiven of much, and he had recognized that the very heartbeat and life of his people was the God of all creation. And he desired, out of that zeal, to build a physical temple in the new capital, Jerusalem. Remember, he looked at his own palace that God had blessed him with. This beautiful palace made of cedar, and he looked at a tent outside his window that housed the Ark of the Covenant. We'll talk more about that in a second. But he lamented. He looked at the, his palace. He looked at the tent and the Ark that represented the very presence of God. And he says, who am I to have a big palace for myself? And I have left the presence of God in a tent. He said, I must build a temple. But remember, God said, listen, that's not up for you to decide. I've nev- never asked anyone to build me a temple But if I do build a temple, I will choose the when and the who. And he did choose the who. He said, it's not going to be you, David, because you have too much blood on your hands. Uh, You were a king at war, establishing and securing the kingdom. I need a king at peace and at rest, and that will be your son Solomon. Right? God promised them rest. He said, I'm going to send you into the land of milk and honey, and I will give you rest. And Solomon was a representation of the rest that God promised, and essentially the permanent temple would be a symbol of that rest too, although because of their own rebellion from that point on, they didn't know much rest at all because of the judgment of God against them. But nonetheless, David had zeal, longed to build the temple, but God said, you won't do it, you won't do it, Solomon will. Now remember, last week, David issued a challenge to Solomon. He said, if you're going to build this temple... If you're going to build this temple, you must have the heart to match, right? And that's where we talked about redirecting ourselves, that God longs for all of who we are. David told Solomon, listen, God knows your heart, God knows your mind, so you be sure that your heart and mind are in the right place if you're going to be about building the temple. It can't be worship as a show. That worship has to be caught up in your very heart and mind. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what David was saying. If you're going to build this, the temple, that has to be you. And we use that moment to remind ourselves that many of us, we still have to move towards God through repentance. We have to identify the places in our own heart and mind that are still very much our own. If we're going to be authentic worshipers, then we need to say, God, we repent that we haven't given these things over to you. There is sin and brokenness in me, and I want to move towards you in the same way that David challenged Solomon to move towards God. Well, today we are in different verses in the same chapter. And at the end of the day, I want to use these verses to remind us as David essentially reminded Solomon that God has given you all that you need to do the work. God has given you all that you need. But before we get there, um, we're going to read a few verses in this text in a moment. But before we get there, I think it's helpful for us 
to put some historical things in perspective to know what David is doing. So at this point in history, David has just established Jerusalem as the new capital of Israel. He has brought essentially two kingdoms together, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. He has brought them together and he has moved the political capital to Jerusalem. This is where he built his palace. And at this time in the history of Israel, when David looked out of his palace window, he saw the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. There are actually two tents at this point in Israel's history. There was the tabernacle in Gibeon, which was just a little north of Jerusalem. And there was the tent outside of David's palace that had the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we know this because it tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, it says, David now built several buildings for himself in the city of David. One of them was his palace. He also prepared a place for the Ark of the Covenant and set up a special tent for it. Then he commanded, no one except the Levites may carry the Ark of, the, of God. The Lord has chosen them to carry the Ark of the Lord and to serve him him forever. Now, there's a lot of history that's going on here to get us to this point, but the Ark of the Covenant was not with the tabernacle because of some really poor decisions made by the people of Israel, but it was in this other place, and David said, I want you to go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to Jerusalem and put it in the tent. Tent. We also know at the same time, as I mentioned, the actual tabernacle was in Gibeon. Now we know that because it also says in those same verses, um, in actually chapter 16, verses 37 through 40, it says, David arranged for Asaph and his fellow Levites to serve regularly before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant in Jerusalem, doing whatever needed to be done each day. Then in verse 39, it says, meanwhile, David stationed Zadok, the priest, and his fellow priest at the tabernacle of the Lord at the place of worship in Gibeon, where they continue to minister before the Lord. So now you have two places of worship. You have the original tabernacle that was in Gibeon. And then you had the new tent that housed the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. And sacrifices, regular sacrifices, were made by priests at both locations. So now you're getting a sense of David's desire. When he thinks about building a permanent temple, he's, he's saying the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle should not be separate. They were designed and intended to be together, to be a representation of the very presence of God with his people and communion by the priests on behalf of the people of God with God. And he said they must be together. They must have a building a glorified tabernacle. And he says, we must build a temple, a place that can house the Ark of the Covenant in its rest and a permanent building. That was David's desire. Now, you hear me talking about the tabernacle, and let's be honest, we don't know much about the tabernacle, do we, in these days? I mean, there's a lot of info in the scriptures, but when I say tabernacle to you, you're probably thinking, I. I've probably learned something about the tabernacle, but I don't know all the details of the tabernacle. Now, I don't have a lot of time to spend here, but I think it's very important for us because uh, David writes in, in chapter 28, 
uh, verses, uh, verse 11, he says this, Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings, including the entry room, the storerooms, the upstairs rooms, the inner rooms, and the inner sanctuary, which was the place of atonement. David gave all these plans that were modeled after the tabernacle that was originally commissioned to Moses. And so it's important for us to understand what these plans were for. These plans were for a permanent tabernacle to house the Ark of the Covenant. All right, so I want us to look at this image again that I had up for uh, the kids. And you can see this is uh, a symbol of the tabernacle. This is that special tent, a place of worship, a place of atonement that the priests um, would interact with on behalf of the people of God. And it, all the way to your left, uh, number two, you have this altar where blood sacrifices and burnt offerings were made on behalf of the priests and the people. On, ver on number three, you have a basin, a large basin filled with water that hands could be washed and feet, feet could be washed. And then as you enter in, you have some other significant pieces of furniture, you have the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table of the showbread, uh, number seven, six, and five, and then uh, enter in, you have the Ark of the Covenant. Now, there are two parts to the tabernacle. The first part they call the holy place. It was a holy place because you're getting closer to the presence of God. And then divided by a very thick curtain was the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant resided. And the Ark of the Covenant was a clear representation of the very presence and provision of God, that when Moses would meet after the, they built the Ark of the Covenant, he would meet with God between the two cherubim uh, that were on the covering of the Ark of the Covenant. It was the presence of God. So it was called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. Only one person a year went in that place. And only the high priest, only one designated person could go into that place once a year. Now I want to describe for you the flow of worship. What would happen? What was the plan and flow of worship? And let's just say just for the high priest once a year. That one day a year was the day of atonement. When the high priest would atone for his sins and the sins for the people. And then he would take the blood of that sacrifice and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Representing the atoning atonement of the people's sin. He had to do that once a year. And so the flow of worship would consist of this. The high priest would come to that burnt offering. That altar. And he would offer an offering for himself and on behalf of the people of God. He would... He would uh, offer sacrifice, blood sacrifice, a burnt offering. And once that was done, he would then move on to the basin. And in the basin, he would purify and sanctify himself after the atoning sacrifice had been made by washing his hands and feet with water. And only after that moment could he enter into the holy place. And the holy place was that place of worship, of thanks and rejoicing in God's faithfulness and provision. And then after going from the holy place, he would then enter into the very presence of God 
in the most holy place. And he would sprinkle the blood, some of the blood, uh, onto that mercy seat. That atoning sacrifice for himself and for all the people of Israel. There was movement. In fact, I would say that the very purpose and heart and design of the tabernacle, this place of worship, was to be a symbol of God's design and desire for the people of God to move towards Him. And the only way that they could move towards God in the very presence of God and encountering God and have fellowship with God and have communion with God and be led by God is if their sins could be atoned for. And their sins could only be atoned for if there's genuine repentance. That's why God said, I don't care about your sacrifices if your heart's not in the right place. And so the, holy, the, holy, the uh, high priest even had to enter the courtyard with the right heart, a contrite heart, before he even got to the sacrifices. But the purpose of the, de- the design and purpose of the tabernacle was demonstrate that there is both spiritual and physical movement towards God and it required sacrifice on the behalf of their sin and sanctification before you could get into the presence of God. That's what David was planning for. That was the plan. I have the plan, Solomon. And these are the very words of God. These plans I've given to you are given to be my God. Certainly, most of those plans were given originally by God, by God to Moses in the commissioning of the tabernacle. That's God's plan for us. God's plan for you and for me is to move towards God. We also see, if we go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5, and we get a sense of this in chapter 28, that David has provided everything that Solomon needs to begin construction. 22, verse 5. David said, My Solomon is still young and inexperienced, and since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, because... God's glory is worthy of it. He says, I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. And so, 1 Chronicles 28 and these other passages, including 22 verse 5, tell us that David amassed incredible provision of materials for Solomon. So that Solomon could be have everything that he needed to build the temple and uh, could get started right away. Provided everything. Doesn't this also remind us that God not only has a plan for us to move towards Him through repentance, but God also makes provision for all that we need to do that. He provides it all. He provides it all. And then we get to these last few verses in chapter 28, this beautiful charge uh, from David to his son. And let me just read those again. He says, be strong and courageous and do the work. These are very familiar words. Moses said these uh, to Joshua. We, Joshua received them. Um, We've heard these before. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. 
He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. The various divisions of priests and Levites will serve in the temple of God. Others with skills and every kind will volunteer. And the officials and the entire nation are at your command. What a great reminder to Solomon. I know, Solomon, I've given you a significant task to unify worship in Jerusalem by building of the temple and bringing the ark and the tabernacle together once again so that we can be his people and he can be our God. That is, that is momentous task. And, and I've given you all the plans that you need. And I've, I have given you all the provisions and materials that you need to make that a reality. And let me promise you, you don't have to be fearful because God's with you. He's never going to leave you. And not only that, Solomon, but God is going to finish the work. God will see to it that the work that I'm commissioning you to do, he's going to complete it. And he's going to surround you with people of God, priests and volunteers, who will help you finish the work. You know, in Philippians 1.6, what does Paul say to the church? He says, can I just tell you something? That what God has begun in you, he will be faithful to complete it. That's a good truth. And so we, as we handle all these verses about plans and materials and this commission to David, we're reminded of some beautiful truths we always need to hear. That by God's plan, God's provision, and God's power, he will finish what he has started in us. And how? Because he provides all that we need. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, listen to this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life, to move towards him through repentance. All that we need. And that all that we need is found in Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to get some really cool details about the tabernacle and the temple, all we have to do is go to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm just going to read a handful of verses. But in Hebrews chapter 9, listen to this. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands, is not part of this created world, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves that the high priest would sacrifice. No, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Jesus provided the plans and the provision and the power for us to move towards God. He is the sacrifice for us. And not only the sacrifice, but He's the high priest. We now have the great high priest, Jesus, who sacrificed Himself on our behalf so that we could freely and without fear move towards God to have fellowship with God, to know Him and the one whom He has sent, to be 
forgiven of sin so that we could enter the most holy place. Listen to these words of Jesus. John the Baptist first saw Jesus. Remember what he said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus was talking with his disciples, he said, I am the way. Finish this for me. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's talking about the tabernacle. When he was washing his disciples' feet, remember what Peter said? I can't have any part of this. I should be washing you. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash you, you can't have any part of me. He is the water in the basin that cleanses us and sanctifies us from our sin. Then we move into that holy place. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not be in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the bread from heaven. The tabernacle. The lampstand, the light of the world. The showbread. I'm the bread of life. And even Romans tells us that Jesus now intercedes on our behalf before the Father, the altar of incense, which was symbolic of the fellowship that the people could have with God, their prayers before God. The reason we have the privilege to move towards God in repentance is because God has made a plan. He has made a provision. He has given us all that we need in Jesus. What a privilege it is right now for us to take part in the Lord's Supper. So um, hopefully you picked up one of these as you entered. If not, um, there are some still in the back, but hopefully you have one of these. Where we get to remember and exalt the Lamb of God who was slain so that we could enter the most holy place. Let me just remind you, these can be a little tricky. There are two little flaps. There's this little thin flap. In fact, see, I'm already having a hard time finding it. I say these things to you so you don't spill grape juice all over you. But go ahead and try to separate those. In a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to take both of these together, just back to back on your own or as a family. So, as a part of our 
liturgy for the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read some scripture to you and you're going to respond to me. And then I'm going to recount for us that evening before Jesus was betrayed, that last meal with his disciples. And then I will release you to partake on your own when you're ready. And so, in Romans it says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? He's all we need. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Who then will condemn us? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? access through Christ to be in the very presence of God. So that night, before the veil was torn, Jesus gathered with these men that he loved, his disciples, whom he called apostles, and they celebrated the Lord's Supper together, that Passover meal, that rejoicing in the rescue of God. And when he got to the bread, he broke it, blessed it, and gave thanks. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. And then near the close of the meal, he took the cup. He blessed it, gave thanks, and he says, this cup is my blood of a new covenant. My blood that will cover the sins of many. And so in just, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to release you. And the song will be played and music worship will begin again. But during that time, as you feel led, will you just take, partake in both of these, the bread, the cup, maybe as a family, as a couple, regardless gather together during this time rejoice in the victory of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection Let's pray. Father we're grateful for your son the lamb the light of the world the bread of life our intercessor that great high priest 
rejoice in him today and we say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, as you feel led, you can partake in the offerings. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.